0: Well, good morning again, and good to see you. Uh, sun is out, finally, and uh, hopefully you enjoyed a beautiful afternoon yesterday, or evening, or you will today, um, but I'm glad you're here with us. want to say a special thanks to our first service folks, those of you who come consistently on first service to the first service. Um, you probably don't realize it because there are empty seats, but if you we didn't have this first service and you coming to it, we'd have no room in the second service, so I'm always grateful for you who are willing to get up early and come be a part of our first service. I uh, want to extend a high five to you this morning. Thanks. Uh, so the sun is out, and, uh, and so a day late for our uh, shotgun tournament. I know many of you were planning on being part of that yesterday, um, coming out and showing us your, your shotgunning skills, uh, but the weather didn't allow, and so um, that's okay, um, right? So, uh, but some of you have asked, you know, you were planning on coming out not because of your fantastic shotgun skills, but because you wanted to help donate to the cause. That tournament was to help send missionaries into the mission field, and so some of you have asked about how you can contribute to that in in any way and so I just want to make sure you know that if you decide to do that you mark your um, your gift with Philippine missionaries uh, to help uh, cover the cost for our upcoming trip in a week and a half and so we've got 11 uh, folks going to the Philippines this year it's our largest international group we have our youngest international missionary going Um, we've got uh, three ladies and eight men going and, uh, and right now I believe we're about uh, $3,800 short of raising all the money needed, which is fantastic considering it's about a $24,000 price tag just to get the team there. So just so you know, we're, the team is about 3800 short, almost there, getting ready to leave in a week and a half. And we'll be talking more about that next Sunday as we get ready to see the team head off. Um, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 today. We're going to cover quite a bit of ground. Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or on your, your phone or your tablet, Hebrews chapter 3 is where, we're, where we will start. If you're visiting with us or new here, just want to let you know we're going through a sermon series through the book of Hebrews. And, uh, and so this is the third week. We'll, this series will take us through most of the summer. We'll break in the middle for a small um, family series and then pick it back up and finish in August. Um, but of all the sermons that um, will be preached on throughout this series, um, for me, I really feel like that this, the, the point of today's sermon is. Um, is the one that we, as a culture, uh, have the greatest need of grasping. So what I would say is this. This may not be your struggle today, but for most of us, it is. When it comes to uh, the busyness of our culture the self-reliance of our culture, the over-obligation of our culture. Most of us are guilty, and most of us are in that current, that fast-moving current of trying to keep up, trying to keep up, planning more, putting more in our schedules, trying to keep up with what other folks are doing. And we see other people putting things in their lives, and we think, well, surely I should be able to, so we put more things in our life. And at the end of the day, we're weary, we're tired. We Most days feel like we are failing in almost every area, just simply getting by. And so of all the the sermons that are going to come out of the Hebrews series, this is one I feel like as a culture we need to hear, and maybe you're part of that, like me. And so today's sermon title is Rest in Jesus. And we're going to allow Hebrews 3 and 4 to define for us what rest looks like when we rest in God. Uh, We're going to see a little bit of a contrast from how we normally think of rest. We're going to start in uh, verse 1 uh, here in just a second. So, We've uh, covered Hebrews 1 and 2, and so the subtitle of the series is Jesus is Better, which is a primary theme in Hebrews. So starting today in chapter 3 all the way through chapter 10, Jesus is going to be compared to the ministry of Moses. So we're going to start today with Moses' faithfulness and Jesus' faithfulness compared to his, and we're going to work through the law and the things that God implemented for the nation of Israel through Moses' To say this, Moses was a great leader. He was a faithful servant. God did a lot of things through Moses. Amazing things. The majority of your Old Testament is significantly influenced through the life and ministry of Moses. That being said, Jesus is better. Better than Moses. Better than what God did through Moses. And so starting in verse 1. Therefore. Therefore what? It's interesting. Chapter 2 started that way too. So chapter 1, Jesus is better than everything, including the angels. Last week, chapter 2, Jesus' words are better than any other message or any words of anybody else or any angel spoken. So rely on his words. Pay attention to his words. So Jesus is better. His message is better. Verse th- chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in, heavenly, in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Just a little help here. Last week we received our first instructions in the book of Hebrews. And the instructions were this. Pay close attention with increasing me- measure to the words of Jesus. This week we have received our first command. It's the first command to show up in the book of Hebrews. And it shows up in the word consider. Which is different from how we typically think about the way God gives us commands. Right? We get lots of do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do this. And here the command is simple. Consider Jesus. That's a command. It's a command that we need to obey. It's a command that when we do obey, we find ourselves wanting to obey it. Because in considering Jesus, which also means understand. Understand what Jesus is teaching. Understand what Jesus is promising. Understand Jesus. When we truly obey that and begin to understand Jesus, a certain liberty and freedom is had, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. We're going to sing about it. But to begin with, our command is this. Stop. Consider And understand Jesus. Verse 2. Who was faithful to him who appointed him. Just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. So now we begin to see a comparison, don't we? Remember how Moses was faithful? The significant leader who God used to lead the children of God out of slavery and captivity under the the ruling reign of Pharaoh. These these Hebrew people were slaves, and God rose up. Moses spoke to him through a bush and and led through these miraculous signs of ten plagues and led the people out of slavery across the Red Sea. And, and Moses was the one up on Mount Sinai who received the Ten Commandments, who brought down the law to the people and led them, even in their grumbling and their rebellion, to the promised land. Which is where he stopped, by the way. Remember how he was faithful? Jesus was faithful as well. Verse three: for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. So they're compared. Jesus' faithfulness is compared to Moses' faithfulness. But now what we're seeing is: but there's really no comparison. Jesus' glory is much more than that of Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has, more honor over, more honor than the house itself. So rather than thinking about Jesus and Moses compared to one another, maybe as co-workers or as brothers, and one's just a little bit more faithful, a little bit more honorable than the other, the, the author of Hebrews wants to say, no, no, that's not the comparison here. It's the same comparison as, uh, as a builder of a house would have over the house itself. Remember back in chapter 1, Jesus is, is the son of the living God who through whom all things were created, including Moses. So don't compare Jesus and Moses like, like co-workers or partners and one's just a little bit more faithful, a little bit more glorious. No, in the way that you would compare the builder of the house to the house, you should compare Jesus to Moses. Verse 4, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to things that were to be spoken later. I want you to hold on to that phrase. Things that were to be spoken later. So last week, we were the, there was a comparison between the words spoken by angels and prophets in the Old Testament. That was compared to the words spoken by Jesus. So the words spoken by the angels and the prophets brought with them a punishment for sin. But the words spoken through Jesus brought this glorious, great salvation. And so now what we're hearing in a similar fashion is that these words, the way that God testified through Moses, the, those things being the law and all the, way that God, that God, all the ways that God spoke through Moses, that simply were simply there simply to testify to a better message, a better set of words, a better promise that were to be spoken later through Jesus. And it's interesting because Um, In Matthew 5, Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount. After the Beatitudes, he says something really key, and then he preaches through a part of the law of Moses. And the thing he says in Matthew 5, 17 is this. Before he hits the law, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Everything that God established through Moses and through the prophets, I haven't come to abolish those things. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To answer God's demand through them the way that God required us as human beings to perform according to the law. Jesus says, I've come to perform perfectly the law, to fulfill every obligation. And then he begins preaching the law of Moses. In verse 6, Hebrews 3, 6, he says, but Christ, in contrast to Moses, is faithful over God's house as a son. God's house being his people. So Moses was just placed Among us as a peer, Moses is part of God's creation. You're part of God's creation. I'm part of God's creation. We're the house being built, and Jesus presides over the house as the builder. Just as Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our We're going to spend a lot of this morning talking about what does that mean that Jesus is faithful over God's house. Who is God's house? We are. So Jesus has been faithful over you. Jesus has been faithful over you. His faithfulness covers you. Let's pick this up in verse 7 as we get a little bit deeper into what's being spoken of here. Now, starting in verse 7 through uh, chapter 4, verse 16, this theme of rest is going to come up. And I think we, as, as modern-day Christians, we, we fail to truly understand the theological significance of rest. We read about it in creation. God rests on the seventh day. And we tend to think of God as, as we think of ourselves. He was weary and tired, right? He made a bunch of commitments for himself. Six days of working hard, needed a break. Right? And so that's our perspective oftentimes on rest. So then we, we then evaluate our own weekly schedule and we decide if we have time to plan into our schedule, rest. Do we have time to do that? Do we need that? And so we tend to think of ourselves as people who, um, who can self-evaluate and decide when we're tired enough, we'll, we'll then rest. And what happens is we overthink ourselves. We, we think of ourselves higher than we ought and we plan too much and then rest never happens. But what we're going to see today is rest has very little to do with how tired you are. There's this deep theological significance to the day of rest, the Sabbath. Verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says... So just a reminder, the Old Testament is about to be quoted here, Psalm 95. Okay, David is writing Psalm 95, King David in the Old Testament... He's reflecting back on Moses' ministry as he writes these words. But reminder here, it's the Holy Spirit working through King David to write these words. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says through David, Psalm 95, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. So, now, Moses' flaws are being picked on here as a leader. Started off by saying, remember how awesome Moses was, a faithful leader in God's house? Well, Jesus was better. And now what's going to happen is we're going to see Moses' flaws exposed as a leader. And this one particular instance that seems to be referred to, he's going back to Psalm 95, King David writing, who's more than likely referring back to specifically Numbers 20, which is one of the situations where the, the people of Israel are following Moses' lead as, he, as Moses followed God's lead through the desert, and they didn't have any water to drink. And God says to Moses to say to the rock, that's the command, and watch God provide miraculously. Well, the people are very rebellious. Matter of fact, um, this isn't the first time they've been rebellious towards Moses and frustrated with him and, and wanted to stone him and, uh, and had forgotten this great rescue of God. Uh, And so Moses begins to appear to be frustrated as well and angry. And so rather than obeying God and speaking to the rock so that God could be glorified through a miraculous providing of water, he takes his staff, the famous staff of Moses, and he, he bangs on the rock. He beats it, expressing his anger. And so this is this incident that's being referred to here, this hardening of hearts, this not believing God to provide moment in the nation of Israel under Moses' leadership. So do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Now think about that. God used a burning bush, first of all, to get Moses' attention. People of Israel weren't necessarily there to hear that. So then God proves his self, His power to the people of Israel and to Pharaoh through these 10 miraculous events, these 10 plagues over the nation of Egypt. And so God then delivers, Pharaoh says, get out of here. God delivers the people through these miraculous events. And then right off the bat, they run into the Red Sea. The, the people look back, and they, and they see the, the, uh, the, the Egyptian army coming at them. What do they do? Do they say, well, remember how faithful God was in, in delivering us? And so surely he's going to make a way. First thing that they did is they turned in rebellion. They said to Moses, why did you lead us out here only to be killed? We could have died at home. It would have been better right? So then what happens? God miraculously, through Moses, parts the Red Sea. They they cross over on dry land. God closes the water up and kills the Egyptian army, those who were out there anyway, and miraculously delivers them. Then then you think they get it then, right? Oh, okay, we get it. Ten plagues, Party in the Red Sea, dry land. That was pretty sweet, God. We're going to trust you. Just right around the corner, they get hungry. They get thirsty, and they start grumbling and rebelling against God. Now, their rebellion, I believe, gets more wicked and more wicked the further they go along. But that's the 40 years of miraculous provision of God in the wilderness that's being referred to here. God over and over again, miraculously showing himself and proving himself to the nation of Israel. You can trust me. I've got this. Those ten plagues was just the beginning of what I can do to deliver you. I can bring water up out of a rock. I can provide manna and quail in such a way that you, you won't even have to work to gather it. Trust me, I've got it. I see that you're hungry. I see that you're thirsty. Yet the people of Israel rebelled again and again, and they put God to the test time after time. Verse 10, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. And as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, for the people of Israel, much like us today, when they hear about rest, or they thought about the promised land, they thought in a very momentary sense. For the nation of Israel... As they thought about the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, they were really looking forward to a vacation. A chance just to sit and eat and be merry and stuff themselves and just really kick back and rest physically. Completely missing the point of the promised land. Matter of fact, in in Hebrews 11, same book we're reading from, the author's going to say, you know what? That wasn't actually the nation, that, that land there isn't actually the fulfillment of the promise. There's a better Jerusalem, a better Israel, a better promised land coming, one that's permanent, not temporary in nature. But for these folks, they were looking for that momentary, immediate relief and rest, much like we look forward to a vacation. And so for the generation, Moses' generation, when he said, they shall not enter my rest, they didn't get to enter into the promised land. Moses himself had to hand off the baton to Joshua to carry the next generation in, to the promised land. So verse 12, Hebrews 3, take care, my brothers, or take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. What what causes us to fall away from the living God? An unbelieving heart. It's a really important part of this chapter, the contrast between believing and unbelieving, because we tend to hear fall away from God, and we go to works. We go to church attendance and giving money and morality, and all the things we can do to earn God's favor. And, and the author wants to make a very clear distinction. The difference between enter into rest or not enter into rest is belief or unbelief. It was because of an unbelieving heart that they were to fall away. Verse 13, But, I exhort, one, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. For me, if if, if Hebrews 3 and 4 has a heartbeat, it's that little phrase we just read, share in Christ. What does it mean for you and I, by faith, to share in Christ? What are we sharing? What is he sharing with us? What am I sharing from Christ that you're also sharing from Christ? We can't go to, to money because we don't all have the same amount of money. Right? We can't go to prestige. We can't go to morality. What is it that you and I share in that is in Christ that drives this eternal rest that, that we're reading about? If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, verse 15, as it is said, today if you hear his voice, quoting that same passage, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now it begins to become personal, right? Right? In the same way that the Israelite nation hardened their hearts towards God, now to us, as those who share in Christ, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. Verse 16, for we, excuse me, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? So what we're about to see now is a contrast between, again, what God did through Moses and what God has done through Jesus. What God has spoken through Moses versus what God has spoken through Jesus. They heard from God, right? Multiple times they heard from God, yet they rebelled. We've heard from God now through Jesus. They heard, they heard from God through prophets, through angels. God spoke in many ways, many times to the people of Israel. They heard from God, yet rebelled. We've heard from God through Christ a better message, and the, the, the warning is don't rebel like they did. Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of what? Unbelief. So the people of Israel who didn't get to cross over into the promised land, the generation of Moses, their issue was unbelief. And if you'll go back and you'll read Exodus, it's an amazing story of what we just read about. You're going to see them turn corner after corner after corner, and you're going to think, surely they're going to get it this time. Oh, look, they're getting hungry. They're going to get it this time. They're getting thirsty again. They're going to get it. But they did it. Miraculously, over and over and over again, God proved himself to them, yet they didn't believe. Now, something interesting. Jesus says something that I want us to look at in Matthew 11 in just a second. So let me set it up, because I think we're all familiar with what we're about to read, but I want to set it up for you. So this is Matthew 11. Jesus's public ministry has already launched. He's already been from city to city, miraculously proving himself over and over and over again to, to be the son of the living God. And yet, in chapter eleven, he calls out cities that fail to believe. Though he miraculously testified to God's power working in him and through him and his identity as the Son of God, they didn't believe. Right after that, okay, right after Jesus calls out these cities by name, verse eleven, or excuse me, chapter eleven of Matthew, starting in verse twenty-eight, he says, "Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden." And I will give you rest. So, similar scenario. God has over and over again proven himself to a group of people. They fail to believe in the Old Testament. Therefore, they didn't enter into the rest. Now, in a similar way, the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, don't be like them. Don't rebel in your hearts. Lest you not enter into the rest. And now we go to these words of Jesus in Matthew 11, "Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your what? Souls." Well, that's different from the way we tend to think about rest, isn't it? I need rest for my body. My feet hurt. My back hurts. My brain hurts. I ran out of patience hours ago. I ran out of patience for my spouse weeks ago. I'm tired. And yet the rest that Jesus is promising is a rest for our souls. Verse 30, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, in our minds... Our minds should be turning right now. What is he talking about? What does rest for souls look like? How is that different from, I'm tired and I want to take a nap? I've been working hard this year and I've earned a vacation. I want to go on vacation. How is that different from, I'll decide when I get to the Sabbath whether or not I need a break or not, depending on how tired I am or or how how short my to-do list becomes? Well, now we're going to roll into chapter 4. We're going to see a little bit more insight on what rest actually means. And what we share in in Christ. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. Now that's interesting. So there's a promise that's on the table right now for us. When the promise is to enter his rest. What Jesus said in Matthew 11 is on the table right now for every person in this room to receive. To take upon his yoke. Take upon his burden. It's light. Does that sound good? It does to me. Anybody, anybody want to, hey, I'm in on that. After the week I've had? Are you kidding me? I want that. While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Uh-oh. I want to make sure I reach it. How do I reach it? Verse 2. For good news came to us, Just as to them. So we've received this good news, just like the people of Israel received good news through Moses. You and I've received good news. Anybody know what the, the Greek word for good news is? The connection here between the gospel? This good news is the gospel. Jesus has come, lived perfectly among us, fulfilled the law, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave on our behalf. And rescinded to heaven, that anybody would believe in him, would have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the good news we've heard. For the good news came to us just as to them. That's the offer on the table. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by what? Faith with those who would listen. For we who have what? Believed enter that rest. You see the contrast there between unbelief and belief? So entering rest on a theological level has nothing to do with how hard I've worked. That's not what I have to do to reach it. Get all my stuff done, and then I, like God, on the seventh day can breathe easy and look back on my accomplishments and think, I've earned this. I get to rest. No, it's belief or unbelief that set up for us this promise of rest. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works, being God's works, were finished from the foundation of the world. For he, who ha- he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, the Sabbath, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage he said, they shall not enter, key word here, my rest my rest. What does he mean by that? So in my mind, I'm beginning to think, wait a second, that's different from the rest I earn. He's not inviting me to take a break from my hard work, my accomplishments. What I earn is rest. God is inviting me, the offer on the table is to enter into his rest. Now what's interesting about the way God works six days and rested on the seventh, he didn't pick it back up on Monday and start over, did he? Why? Because his work was complete. It was a finished work. Now, somehow, there's a connection between what God did in creation, six days, rested on the seventh, and this offer on the table from Jesus to us. It's different from how we tend to think about rest. If I want to take off some time on Saturday to be with my family, I got to work extra hard. I got to earn it. I got to prove that I am worthy of rest. Many of you. Feel guilty when you take vacations from work. It's like you gotta earn it, right? Gotta prove it. Gotta earn it. Don't want anybody thinking I'm lazy. So therefore, you oftentimes won't even take vacations, or when you do, you're thinking about work. Why are you thinking about work? Because you just want to make sure everybody knows I'm committed and faithful. Right? And so we tend to relate rest to the work that we accomplish. But we're not being invited into our own rest, are we? We're being invited into the rest of God. And it's different. Think about it like this. So what we were told earlier was that the the words and the promises spoken through the Old Testament was setting up a better promise, a better word from God. Even in what we see in the Sabbath rest is setting up something better for us. Let's finish this and then we'll talk about it some more. Verse 6, again, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have spoke, would not have spoken of another day later on. Now think about that. What happened with Joshua. Moses led the people of Israel. They were rebellious. What were they headed to? The promised land. What they thought was ultimate rest. They were were a rebellious generation, so God said, you won't enter. And then Joshua took the baton and led the next generation into the promised land. And what we're, we're seeing here from the author of Hebrews is that's not the rest that God was promising. That's not rest for your souls. That's rest for your feet and for your back. Maybe takes a little stress off for a moment, but what? You have to pick up and start working again on Monday, which is how right our week works. We take a break, only to do what? Every day we go to sleep, only to do what? To wake up the next day, pick up right where we left off, and keep working. That's not how God displays rest to us. It's not the rest he's inviting us into. In a culture with more options to choose from than ever before, we have become a generation more committed than ever before, Therefore, we have become a generation more weary than ever before. We are a generation marked with overcommitment, worry, and stress, just making it through each each week, but rarely making it towards the goals in our life. And the way we justify that is is we say, I'm a hard worker, I'm ambitious. Right? I can handle this. And what I think we're indirectly communicating is this, that we are still seeking approval. So many of us, work hard, we're ambitious, we, we want to prove ourselves. Many Many of you here today, especially even among the men, are still longing to hear from Dad. Good job. I'm proud of you. You're a man. And so, seeking approval. Many of us here today are still seeking that affirmation that we didn't get when we were in school from our friends. And so we're trying to prove ourselves. We're working hard to prove ourselves. The problem is we bring that same mindset into the kingdom of God and we do the same thing with God. We overcommit, become weary and and worry-stricken and stress-filled, and at the end of each day, we've just barely made it to the finish line to collapse and wake up the next day tired just to do it all over again. That's why we need all the caffeine and all the power drinks and all these kind of things to keep us going, right? See, the Sabbath rest was not about taking a break to pick it back up. The Sabbath rest was about a finished work. The finished work of the gospel is this. Jesus has already performed on our behalf what God requires in order to enter eternally into his kingdom. Remember what was said at the very beginning of this chapter? The contrast between Jesus and Moses? Jesus was more faithful and more Worthy than Moses. And remember the heartbeat of this chapter? We share in that. Did you know that? Jesus has already, already faithfully performed on your behalf before God. Yes. Jesus has already proven himself to be worthy on your behalf before God. By faith, he shares that with you. Now Think about that. How does that change our mindset and therefore let our souls rest at the end of the day is there is there a problem with working hard absolutely not is there a problem with trying to work hard to earn favor yes there is whether you're seeking your approval from a earthly father or competing with your peers trying to show to your friends I mean how many of us want to go back to a high school reunion just to show everybody I made it you thought I, you thought I wouldn't make it Look at what hard work does. Look at how it's paid off. Look at what I've done for myself. and and That's a rebellious heart. God isn't calling you to work hard and rely on your own rest. He's saying, tell you what, come rely on what, what Jesus has done for you, his finished work on the cross. By faith, enter into that rest. Verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Verse 9, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So... And this can happen in my life every day, but just think on a weekly basis. As I set apart the Sabbath, not in a legalistic sense, but in a celebratory sense, in a sense of gratefulness and faithfulness, as I set aside a day of rest, there's something that has to happen in my mind. I have to take the to-do list and say, my identity isn't based on this, and set it aside. In faith sometimes, I have to think, I don't know how I'm going to get everything done, the lawn mowed, the house clean, the kids, all the things that they need to get done, but you know what? I'm going to, in faith, rest. It's not about physical rejuvenation so that I can pick it back up on Monday and just go after it again. The rest is my way of saying in faith, the accomplished work of Jesus on my behalf is enough. I don't have to create my own identity here on earth by how hard I work or how much I can accomplish. There is room in grace for effort, but there is no room in grace for earning. I want you to see the difference today. Not telling you to go be lazy employees. You should work hard. Paul's going to call that out in Ephesians. Even to, to, to bond servants and slaves, work hard for your masters. But don't do that to earn God's favor. Don't do that to earn your right to take a break. At the end of every day, when I lay my head down on my pillow, I can rest. Why? Because it's not contingent on me. My eternity is secure, my identity is secure, my faithfulness is secure in Christ. That's the rest we're being invited into, to share in the faithfulness of Christ. In Christ, you are made faithful. To share in the worthiness of Christ. In Christ, you are made worthy. This begins to culminate here in verses 14 of Hebrews 4. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. That's a summary phrase of saying all that Jesus did. I mean, he passed through the heavens, right? Came from heaven to earth, born, lived perfectly, fulfilled the law perfectly, performed perfectly on our behalf. From from birth to cross, Jesus is earning God's favor on our behalf, displaying the faithfulness that I didn't have on my behalf. He's passed through the heavens. Jesus the son of God let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet what without sin he performed perfectly on our behalf perfectly on our behalf there are no second tier christians or fixer up christians like if you're in christ you've shared in everything that is christ everything You're considered faithful to God right now. Some of you need to hear that. Maybe not everybody in the room, but some of you need to hear that right now. You are not trying to prove yourself to God. Jesus has already proved himself on your behalf. And by faith, he says, take on my faithfulness. Share in that. That's the promise on the table. That's the rest for our souls. Share in my faithfulness. We have a high priest who has been tempted in every way, yet without sin. Flawless, perfect, perfectly fulfilled the law verse 16 let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help grace to help in time of need it's a beautiful promise isn't it and we tend to read this verse and just think about God's presence God's presence but every time we acknowledge our access into God's presence we're acknowledging rest for our souls Anytime you acknowledge I'm standing or sitting or kneeling or worshiping in the presence of a holy God, your soul does so by inhaling and resting. I didn't have to earn my way here. I didn't have to qualify to get into God's presence. Therefore, I can't be disqualified. What qualifies me to be here is faith, belief. That's the difference. By faith, we have been ushered into the throne room of grace with what? confidence, not timidly, not I hope I get in. I'm going to see what happens. Hopefully I've been good enough today. If you're relying on that, you don't get in. Listen to me. If you are relying on your works to get into heaven, you don't get in. Period. You don't. I don't care how moral you've been or how many verses you've memorized or how many Sunday schools you taught or how much money you've given or how, how awesome you are being a Christian. You don't get in if that's what you're relying on. That's a soul not at rest. That's a soul trying to earn God's favor. That's a soul saying, I saw that Jesus did it, now I think I can do it. And that's not the point of the Sabbath. The point of the Sabbath is, is to rest in the finished work of God. And every week as I set aside time, not legalistically, but out of gratefulness and out of worship, to say this is my Sabbath, what I'm doing is saying I'm looking, better, better to, I'm looking forward to a better Sabbath. I'm looking forward to a permanent rest. And, like the nation of Israel entering into the promised land, I'm looking at going, this is temporary. Yeah, there are a lot of grapes right now ready for harvest, and there's a lot of food, but guess what? This is going to run out. And we're going to have to replant. And we're going to have to tend to the vineyard. We have to start working again. So, rather than looking at my temporary rest and go, that's what God's calling me to, I look at my rest as a snapshot of my eternity, where my soul will f- be fulfilled in this promise of. Chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, not for a moment, but eternally resting before the presence of a holy God. Jesus, The confidence that we have to draw near is based on Jesus' performance on our behalf. Later on in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. A single offering was the finished work of Jesus, and that's enough to cover all of us. You're good if you're here today. You're good. You need to hear that. You're good. It's so funny. Um, our four-year-old, anytime we talk about Jesus dying on the cross, he's picked up on, he died on the cross so that we didn't have to. And it, I'm having a hard time getting him to the next layer of that concept. You understand, we, des- we needed to go. Like, we deserved to go. And so he's beginning to pick up on, like, so we didn't have to because we were supposed to. But here's the thing that I want to teach him next. Even if we had went to the cross on our own behalf, it wouldn't have been enough. I have, in my life, in my performance, have earned the right to die on a cross. I have, just letting you know. It's how corrupt and wicked my heart is and has been. If God decided to kill me on a cross, I would go, that's just. I wouldn't like it, but he would be just in doing so. However, if, in fact, God chose to do that, say, so you know what, Jason? I'm going to take you up on that. So instead of Jesus covering your sins, I'm going to let you cover your own. You get down on a cross for you. Here's the thing. I, I could die and that would be completely just of God, but my death, my sacrifice wouldn't be enough to pay for my sins. Why? Because I haven't performed well up until that point. I'm not a perfect sacrifice. I'm an imperfect sacrifice. And the point of 10, 14 in Hebrews and what we're reading about rest is that Jesus performed perfectly. Therefore, his one-time sacrifice is enough. It's a finished work. When Jesus says it is finished, he's saying it's finished. It's finished. You don't need the gospel plus your performance, plus your morality, plus all these things. You need the gospel. That's the offer on the table. That's the rest for your souls. By faith, you would believe and receive the unmerited favor and grace of God through the gospel. Is there room and grace to work hard? Yes. Is there room and grace to earn? No. As soon as you begin to try to earn, you are acting in conflict to the gospel. Many of you m- moms in here who are still trying to, in your weariness and your busyness, you know it's self-inflicted. You're trying to keep up with. You see other moms fulfilling all these commitments, and you're you're over-committing, and you and you right, and you feel all this pressure. If we don't, what is it going to be like? I never forget. Before we had kids, I had a pastor in my life who was mentoring me, saying, for him and his family, they only let their kids play in one sport at a time. And I began th- I, at that point. I was like, that's crazy. I mean, my friends are going to hate me. I'm going to be the worst parent in the world if we implement that. So we've, we've implemented that. And I know that others don't. And we look at them and we try to invite them over for dinner and try to get involved and they say, what? We can't because we got this activity, this not, this not, this not, this night. And the kids are kind of running things and, and you ask them and, and they're tired. They're weary. They're not excited about practice and sports and it's just this thing they have to do to keep up with. Many of you are, some of you at least, are right now in debt at levels that you shouldn't be, and you got in debt trying to keep up with other people, and now you're weary and you're tired. Now, how am I ever going to dig my way out of this hole? How How did I get here? You're still trying to perform and earn and prove yourself and create your own identity, and Jesus says that's not the offer on the table. Come here. Let's rest. That sounds good, doesn't it? Let's rest. It doesn't matter what your child's friend's parents think of you. Chances are they're just as tired. How about you give them permission to take a break? A lot of men overworking, neglecting the family, hours upon hours upon hours, telling themselves and their family it's just a season. Talk to them about backing off, they can't. I might lose my position. I got this young guy at work and he's just tearing it up. And if I back off, you know, I'm gonna lose favor at the boss and he's gonna take my position, and I gotta I gotta earn my spot here. And Jesus says to you, hey, come to me. Let's rest for a minute. It's not who you are. You lose your job because you're taking care of your family. How about you like the nature of it? Hey, trust me. I can provide food and water. Right? I can do that for you. Quit working yourself into this weary frenzy trying to keep up. It's not the promise on the table. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Um, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, and we're going to sing a song that I want to read the first words to us. I think I too often sing songs up here without truly thinking about what the words mean. We're about to sing a song called Redeemed, and I think this morning I would point out the point of our redemption is rest for our souls. Redeemed from having to work hard and To pay your own penalty for sin and to earn God's favor. The fact that you are redeemed means God says, I'm redeeming you. He's inviting you to rest. Listen to the the words of the first verse in the chorus of this song before the band comes up. Seems like all I could see was the struggle. It's probably indicative of a lot of our lives at the end of the day. Look back over the day and it feels more like a struggle than a victory. Seems like all I could see was the struggle, haunted by ghosts that live in my past. Bound up in shackles of all my failures, wondering how long is this going to last. I wonder how many of us are still thinking about the busyness of that season, wondering how long is this going to last. I know it's what I keep telling other people, but I've got to be honest. Like I don't see an end in sight. Then you look at, talking to God, you look at this prisoner and you say to me, son or daughter. Stop fighting a fight that's already been won. Some of us need to hear that this morning. The reason why you're so tired is you're fighting a fight that's already been won. The chorus says, I am redeemed. You set me free. So I'll shake off these heavy chains and, I'll wipe, away and wipe away every stain. Now, because I'm not who I used to be, I'm redeemed. I've been set free. Let me pray for us this morning, and as the band comes back up, um, I want to extend two different responses, in addition to whatever God may be speaking to your heart right now. One, for those of, us who are, uh, those of us who are Christians, by faith you've believed and you've received the forgiveness of Jesus and the eternal life that he has today, Maybe you realize that in some ways you're still out there trying to earn and trying to prove yourself and create your own identity. Today for you, then the offer on the table is the same offer that's been on the table to come and to rest, to find your security in Christ and His finished work on your behalf so that maybe later this week or Saturday or so you take a break, you can do so without feeling guilty. You can do so without feeling like the world is up to you to conquer or the the world's going to quit spinning if you quit working. Maybe you can... Truly rest. Understanding that the rest that Jesus is inviting you into is not just a moment of break so your feet can take a break, but it's saying something bigger. As you take a break, you're saying, I have trusted in the work of Christ on my behalf, and I can take a break today because it doesn't depend on me. And my rest today is more of an expression of worship than a necessity for physical rest. I'm going to challenge you in that if you're a Christian here today. What is your identity resting on? Are you trusting more in your own work or his finished work on your behalf? And today, if you're not a Christian, the greatest of all invitations is on the table. Jesus says, come to me, you who are tired and weary from trying to earn your way through this life, trying to work your way through this life, trying to prove yourself through this life, trying to impress people in this life. Come to me. Take my yoke upon. Jesus is saying, take my faithfulness upon you. You are tired of working to impress God? I already, I already did it for you. Come to me in faith, and you can have my faithfulness. You can share in my worthiness. By faith, God wants to call you a son or a daughter. That invitation's open to you today. And if that's you, I'm gonna pray for you, and I hope that you would have the courage to maybe even stand up in a few minutes when we sing. And make your way to one of our prayer partners. And just let them know what God's doing in your life. And ask them to pray over you. You're free to come down and kneel at the front and and pray. Some of you may feel led to do that. Or stay seated. Just pour out your heart before God. But today we've heard his voice. Let us not, as they did in the wilderness, harden our hearts. And walk out of here unchanged. Walk out of here unbelieving. Walking out of here rebellious. Let us believe today the gospel. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this beautiful invitation to rest. God, we are a weary people. Especially here in the United States, we are a people who are prone to rest in our own identities, our own career paths, our own climbing up the ladder, our own performance. We're steeped in a culture that tells us if we want value, we have to prove ourselves. And so thankful that the gospel unravels that, that in Jesus, we don't have to prove ourselves. We can simply come as weary souls in rest. For those here today who know you Jesus and know that rest but are still prone to forget it and to, to rebel, I pray today would be a day of coming back to the gospel. For others here today, Jesus, who don't know you, that today would be the day of redemption, a day to take the words of this next song and, and truly allow them to sink into the heart stand up and to say, I believe, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in his work on my behalf. And today I'm taking him up on his offer. I'm resting in him. So now we turn this time over to you to come work among us, lead us, guide us. We pray in your powerful name, Jesus.